Amen. Father, we just ask that you would continue with the spirit of worship as we seek your heart and seek your presence in all that we do. Father, I pray that you'd set the captives free this morning, that, Father, each one of us would examine our hearts and find out where we stand with you and how we can live for you in all that we do in your name. Amen. You be seated. I hope you continue to sign in on Facebook as we go through the series looking at uh, apps and I encourage you to sign in and put something down, a scripture or one of those, uh, a phrase or something that uh, allows you to let others know where you are on Sunday morning and what you're doing on Sunday morning. You'll be amazed at how much feedback we've gotten from people that have been able to do that uh, and be able just to get the word out to people about what God's doing in your life. Uh, you know, one of the things about social media that uh, has opened up a whole new world is the idea of etiquette on social media, on, on uh, when you're supposed to talk, when you're supposed to text, when you're not supposed to text, uh, how are you supposed to text, who are you supposed to text. Uh, you know, this whole idea of etiquette, it, it's always been confusing to me. I don't understand, um, you know, the idea of, of sending a thank you letter for a thank you letter. Has anyone ever uh, wondered about that? I mean, if you give somebody a gift and they send you a thank you card, are you supposed to send them a thank you card back, letting them know that you appreciate the thank you card? Uh, I mean, it just, it's strange. And if you don't, do you feel weird that uh, maybe they don't think that you got the thank you card? And some kind of just death spiral, I guess, of uh, etiquette. And, and etiquette has always been confusing to me. I, I just, I have to admit, uh, I don't get it in, in regular interactions, the idea of etiquette. Especially, you know, I know it's a generational thing. If you were to ask different people from different generations, uh, they would tell you that you should respond this way. And younger people might say you should respond this way. It all kind of came to a head for me back uh, almost 25 years ago. My wife and I were getting married, and uh, uh, the church I was serving in uh, was going to throw a bridal shower for my wife. And my grandmother, who was only about uh, an hour away from where we lived, was going to help throw the bridal shower. She was part of the bridal party or whatever, and uh, she was involved in that. That's my mother's mother, and my mother had already passed away, and so she really was the only uh, connection to that side of the family that was going to be a part of that, and so she was involved, and the night came for the bridal shower, and you know, back then they didn't have couples showers. I didn't go, uh, but my wife went, and a bunch of people from the church went, and my wife came home, or soon-to-be wife came over, and she said, uh, your grandmother didn't show up, and I thought, well, there's no reason unless something happened or, you know, she was sick. And so uh, I called my grandmother that night and said, I, you know, the bridal shower for Kim uh, at the church was tonight and you didn't show up. She said, well, I didn't feel like I could come because I didn't receive an invitation. Now, to me, I, I said, well, wait a minute. You were in charge of the invitations. You know, you, you sent the invitations. You were a part of inviting the people to go and be a part of it. Uh, how can, you know, you say that you don't come, you can't come because you didn't get an invitation. I just didn't understand it. She said it would be a breach of etiquette for me to show since I didn't have an invitation. Well, I, that was crazy to me, and it's still crazy to me. I don't get it. Um, and, and that takes us back to social media. I mean, how, when do you respond to someone's text? Uh, if someone sends you a text that is a statement or is a response to something you send, uh, are you supposed to send something back to them? Have you ever worried about that? Or email, somebody sends you an email and it's just stating a fact and you think, okay, that's good information. Uh, are you supposed to send something back, you know, with a K or okay or I got it? Or, uh, or maybe you've been on the other end. Maybe some of you have been to where you sent an email or you sent a text. Uh, and it was something that was real important to you, 
and you kind of waited and you didn't hear anything back and you were worried because you weren't hearing back from it and uh, you know what happens when that goes on in your mind you start thinking well maybe I sent it to the wrong person right and so you get your phone and you start checking to see whether you sent it to the right person Uh, then you start thinking maybe I said something that was offended them or got mad so you reread it and you reread it through how they might have heard it and uh, you know then all these other scenarios start going into your head maybe something's wrong maybe I did something and uh, all along the whole issue was just that they didn't think they were supposed to respond to. Is that happening to anybody else but me? Uh, it, it's strange. Well, well, the question this morning I wanted to ask you is what do we do when that starts happening in our relationship to God? What, what do we do when, when we start saying our prayers or we pray and we don't feel like we're getting an answer? Or, or maybe we don't even feel like they're leaving past the ceiling and we're seeking God's heart and uh, we're not getting anything in return. Or maybe even you come to worship and you just don't sense the Spirit of God like you have in the past. Maybe the, the songs don't resonate with your heart. Maybe you're not able to worship the way you've done before. Maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe there's something that you've done and you haven't moved beyond. Maybe you haven't gotten some freedom from that. And because of that, it's caused you uh, to lose some of your passion for the things of God. Uh, We've been talking about intimacy here the last couple of weeks and our intimacy with God. And maybe as we've talked about that, you've thought, you know, I I haven't been real intimate in my relationship to God. I'm not like that. And see, all of those things, when you find yourself at that place, much like texting and not getting an answer, you start doubting. And you start questioning whether or not you really maybe have a relationship with God. I I mean, all of 1 John, you know, he's built up this whole thing we've been studying to identify a group of people in the church. You know, they say, uh, they claim to be something that they're really not. And he even identifies it by saying, look, here's this group of people who says they're Christians, who says they're believers, but their actions and their hearts don't match up to it. So it's easy to understand how you can start to doubt. And and please hear me. Now, Paul says that we are to examine ourselves. Uh, We are to examine our spirituality, our Christian walk with God, with much fear and trembling. So there's nothing wrong with you and I looking at our lives and seeing if our actions and our words and our heart matches up to what God says a Christian should be like. Uh, We should be able to examine our hearts. But what happens to many believers is they allow doubt, they allow uh, lack of really intimacy with God to creep into their spirit and to begin to steal their joy. They allow doubt to creep in and start to rob them of the power and the freedom and the joy that God has called us to live. And I see it happening all across the church as as what happens to us is, is we don't really understand what it means to be in a relationship with God. Now John has clearly earlier in chapter 1 shared with us that our faith in our relationship with God is not based on emotion. See, a lot of us get caught in that trap. We, we think it's all about emotion. It's all about a feeling. It's not based on that. You see, my relationship to God is based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, not my feelings, not my emotion. Uh, when I walk with God or walk in the light, as John says, it's based on the fact that Jesus has set me free through his sacrifice. He has given me an opportunity to have a relationship to God. And and so it's not based on how I feel or what I've gone through or what I'm going through. It's based on Jesus. But a lot of times people in the church forget about that. 
And as they go into a relationship, uh, that doubt starts to paralyze who they are. It starts to paralyze how you feel, and it starts to creep out of the rest of your heart and your spirit. And, And I say all that to help us understand this morning that God has called us to set us free. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been set free to live a life of power and victory and abundance. That's Jesus' promise. I came that you have life and life more abundantly. That means life to the fullest. But so many believers are living a life less than what God has called them to. So many of us in the church are living a life less than what God's called us to, not plugged into what he wants to give you on a weekly basis, how he wants to change your marriage, how he wants to change your life at work and your relationships to your friends, because we walk in doubt. And we've allowed that creeping doubt to overwhelm us. You see what happens is you, you, your prayers start getting sh- shorter and shorter and then disappear. And worship starts to become a hindrance instead of a joy. It starts to become a habit. And all of a sudden that intimacy starts to disappear and you really don't know. Some preacher gets up or something happens or you read something. And all of a sudden Satan begins to plant a seed of doubt in your spirit. And that doubt grows and grows to the point that you find yourself wandering away from God. I want you to hear me this morning. If you've wandered away from God because of doubt, if you've wandered away from God because you aren't feeling intimacy, you need to recognize it's not God that's walked away. The Bible says God will never leave you nor forsake you. It's you that have walked away from him. And this morning, John's going to take just a few passages here to, to speak into some of your hearts about how you can know that you know that you know that God is yours. How you can have assurance, how you can have security, how you can have freedom, and how you can not only claim that and believe it according to God's word, but how you can walk that out. You see, doubt in your life leads to problems in every other area. If you are constantly doubting whether or not you're in a right relationship to God, it's going to affect every relationship that you have that correlates out from that relationship to God. And it's going to affect your intimacy with other people. John's already told us that. And so what I want you to do is, as we read this this morning, I want you to ask yourself, is there doubt? Are you sure that you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your salvation? That he has set you free. Because it's okay to wrestle. But what it's not okay to do is once you finish the wrestling, once you've understood, once you've stood on the truth, to continue to allow doubt to rob you. So let's see what John has to say. He has a couple of truths here that I think are pretty freeing. I know they were freeing for me, and hopefully the Spirit will speak something into you this morning and it will free you up. We're looking at uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3 where we've ended up last week and we're going to start right where we ended up. Uh, verse 19 of chapter 3. For this then is how we know that we belong to the truth. John comes right out and says it. This is how we know that we know that we know that we are a believer. This is how we know we are a part of this relationship with God. This is how we know that we have been saved. That we have been set free from a law of sin and death. Set free from an eternity separated from God. This is how we know that is true. For whenever our hearts condemn us. Now, That's talking about our conscience. And all of us in here understand what that's saying. What that's saying is whenever our hearts remind us of how bad we are, 
Whenever our hearts tell us that you're not good enough, whenever your heart tells you that you've blown it or you've made a mistake, whenever, that's doubt. Whenever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. You see, the first truth John wants us to stand on this morning, the first truth to help set you free is to recognize that God is greater than your sins. God is greater than anything that you've ever done. Now, most of us in here understand that, but we don't take it and make it a part of our life. We don't dwell on it, that word, uh, allowing it to abide in us. Do you recognize this morning that you have been set free from sin because of Jesus' sacrifice? He says there are times when our heart condemns us, and all of us have been there. We've all been at times when guilt begins to, to overwhelm us and understand that guilt is not a bad thing if it's dealing with unrepented sin. Because you see, what, what our conscience does if we have sin in our life is it convinces us that we need to make our hearts right with God. And what he says here, this idea of when we stand in God's presence, we know that our hearts have been set free. That idea of presence is a judge. And so what John is saying is that all of us are standing before God in judgment. And in reality, our hearts have already condemned us. You see, our hearts, because of our, our flesh and because of our sin, already say, you're guilty. You deserve punishment. But God, being the judge, looks down and declares you innocent. You see, that's justification. Not of anything you've done. Not because you deserved it. Not because you were worthy. Not because you were better than the person sitting beside you. All of us in here, our hearts condemn us. But God says, no, you're innocent. And it's that idea of embracing that truth that God is greater than any sins that we have, that God is greater than anything that we have done that'll set you free. You see, we need to recognize that God is greater than any of your sins, and God's grace will extend to all of our sins. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You see, most of us embrace that. Most of us in this room can say, Yes, I've been forgiven. But here's where the catch is. While we say, I have been forgiven, we still don't forgive ourselves. You see, what leads most believers to doubt their Christian walk is self-guilt that you haven't let go. You see, we understand that we've been given freedom. You, you can say amen when I talk about you being set free. But in your heart, you somehow have convinced yourself that you've done something or there is something that has happened in your life that you don't deserve freedom for, and so you hold on to it. Even though the Bible says God has taken your sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west, you're still allowing it to dictate how and who you live. And that self-guilt... That self-condemnation is destroying your intimacy with God. Because the Bible says you've been set free, and you're not living in that freedom. Now, why do we get wrapped up in this self-guilt? Why do, does self-guilt overwhelm us? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, because the world tells us we have to earn everything we get. And so most of us think of forgiveness being based on performance. See, most of us think that, that to be forgiven, I've got to do something, right? If you do this, if you clean your room, then you get the cookie. If you do something bad, then you've got to do this. And to do that is to earn the trust back. And so we have allowed that to creep into our spirit to tell us that, that really to be forgiven by God, I've got to do something to earn that forgiveness. You don't recognize that there is nothing in this world that you can do that will earn God's forgiveness. It's a gift. 
And gift is totally different from something that you earn, a wage. But some of you this morning can't grasp that grace. And because of that, you beat yourself up. The second reason most of us struggle is, is just because we allow disappointment with ourselves to overwhelm us. You see, some of us have allowed the devil to tell us lies, and we've bought into those lies, and we think, but I've, I've done something so bad, or I've disappointed God time and time again. God's asked me to do something, and I've missed out, or I haven't obeyed, and I've walked away, and because of that, I just don't deserve it. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve to be set free. I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve all of those things, and because of that, it has overwhelmed us, and it keeps us in doubt. And you see, you need to understand that this is something we bring on ourselves. It's not something the world is pushing on us. It's something that we accept and bring on. Now, now let me give you some ways that self-doubt and self-guilt, beating ourselves up, plays itself out. A couple of things that maybe you'll recognize. First of all is self-punishment. What does that mean? That means we replay our sin over and over again. See, the devil is great at this. The devil is wonderful at reminding you of all the mistakes that you've made in the past. And so we relive those mistakes. And every time we relive them, we beat ourselves up a little more. Now the thing you need to understand is that there's not a person in this room, not a person sitting beside you or around you or in front of you or behind you that hasn't blown it just as bad as you have. You say, oh, pastor, you don't know what I did when I was younger. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Even once I became a Christian and how I turned my back on God and some of the things I've done, you you need to understand that there is no action that is greater than God's forgiveness. The Bible doesn't say God forgives these sins, but not those sins. But yet we always punish ourselves. We beat ourselves up, and in beating ourselves up, that guilt gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. We never let it go. We live in shame instead of living in victory. And we walk around with this cloud around us. The second way it shows itself up is uncertain. Because we haven't forgiven ourselves, we don't really believe that God's forgiven us. And so we spend all of our time trying to make it up. See, we don't serve, we don't do things in the church because God has set you free and empowered you. We do it because we're trying to earn forgiveness. And that's a miserable place to be. I see people in church all the time that do it. As a youth minister, I used to see it all the time. Uh, you could always tell uh, when kids were struggling in their spiritual walk. They, you know, a kid that surrendered to, to what God is calling them to do, and they've given their heart to God, and they wander off, or they live in sin. And you can always tell when God begins to convict them because their first answer is, listen, I guess God's calling me to ministry. Why do you think God's calling you to ministry? Because God's forgiven me, and the only way that I can actually pay him back is to to go into ministry. I guess I'm supposed to go in the mission field. I've got to do that to pay God back. God doesn't ask that of you. And for you to do that and trying to pay God back, you will be miserable because it's not a calling. It's guilt that's pushing you to do it. And we get people that come to church and and they give out of guilt and they never experience the joy. They think, I I can pay God back for forgiving me by writing a bigger check. And please, that's okay. Write the check. You'll just have to deal with it later. But, But what happens is you need to understand that that is not earning anything from God. You can't pay God, and you never experience the joy. People say, well, I guess I'll work the nursery. You know, I'm such a, I've done so many bad things. I guess I can pay back God by helping in there with the little kids. And you're miserable. 
That's not how God calls you to serve. He calls you to serve out of freedom and out of joy and because you're gifted. But you see, we beat ourselves up and this guilt causes us to do things that we're not supposed to. And then the third way it manifests itself is that we walk around with a sense of unworthiness. You see, I told you three weeks ago, your name is now different. Your name is now child of God. Your name is now child of the king, but yet you and I walk around feeling unworthy of that title, and so we live beneath it. We think, well, I, I want to be a child of the king, but you, the king doesn't know what I've done. He knows exactly what you've done. That's what John said here. He said he knows your hearts before you even act on it. And I see so many Christians and so many believers that beat themselves up and they walk around continually to feel like they're unworthy to do something that God has specifically called them to do. See, the Bible says God takes those things in your past and he works them for his purposes. Doesn't mean that you went through that because God caused it to happen. No, you went through that rebellion. You did those things that you did. Maybe the, the mistakes that you've made. But what God has done in his incredible love and grace is take those things and make them part of your victory. But you and I will never experience that if we walk, walk around like we don't deserve it. One of my great friends in the ministry I met when I first started working in Shreveport uh, just a great mentor to me. He was just a man in the church uh, that when he was younger, before he got saved, he had gotten a divorce. Then after his divorce, God got a hold of him and he got his life right. But he walked around beating himself up because he had been divorced. And God began to put a call on his ministry and I can't tell you how many times I sat across from him and I said, you need to follow God. And he said, I can't, I'm divorced. I said, God doesn't make second-class citizens. He said, I, but you don't understand. I made a mistake. I said, listen, I made a hundred of them, and God still calls. I said, just because a church won't stamp it on you and say, you're okay, doesn't mean you don't go do what God's calling you to do. So he started volunteering in our church with singles, started volunteering in church with divorced people, had a heart for it, had a passion for it. All of a sudden, that group began to grow. It began to grow, and he was pouring his ministry into it. All of a sudden, he began to recognize that his name wasn't divorced. His name was child of God. And as he began to forgive himself and he began to walk out the victory that God was calling him to, all of a sudden, God began to bless what he was doing. And he went from part-time. You see, the church had to begin to eventually say, we need somebody to take care of these people. There's so many divorcees and uh, remarried and singles. We need, let's hire him. So we hired him part-time. Then all of a sudden it kept growing and it became full-time. Then another church in town said, listen, he's the best singles minister there is. Let's hire him. And they took him away from our church. His ministry kept growing. Now he is associate pastor at one of the largest churches in Louisiana, all because he stopped letting the lies of his past keep him from being who God was calling him to be. And you see, some of you in this room, you have allowed guilt and you have allowed these lies to overwhelm you to the point that you're not doing what God's called you to do and it keeps you in bondage to doubts. Now, I didn't intend to stay all on this this long, but I think somebody in here, I just felt like the Holy Spirit needs to speak to somebody this morning. You see, you need to recognize that this guilt, this doubt, this, this overwhelming sense of beating yourself up is keeping you in bondage. Well, how do you get out of it? Well, it's easy to get out of it. Well, easy to say, hard to do. 
Because here's the first thing that you need to do. You, you want to get out of this self-guilt that some of you are beating yourself. The first thing that you've got to do is admit what it is that's keeping you in bondage. What it is that you're not forgiving yourself for. For some of you, it's one action. For some others of you, it may be a, a, a lifestyle. For others of you, it may have been a time in your life. But you need to name it. Because that is your prison. So name it this morning. Speak to it in your heart. And the second thing you need to do is repent. Repent of what? Repent of sin. Because you need to understand that it's a sin not to forgive yourself when God says you've been forgiven. You need to say, God, I am sorry that I've allowed this thing to keep me from experiencing your forgiveness. And the third thing you need to do is you need to stand on that truth. I am forgiven. I am free. My past doesn't dictate my future. My mistakes don't dictate my victories. I'm free. And then you need to just trust God. You just need to pray, God, Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm sorry I haven't forgiven myself for that one thing. I'm sorry I keep bringing it up. I'm sorry I keep living in that place. I'm sorry I keep letting that guilt keep me from having an intimate relationship with you. And then just ask this, God, send your power and presence to let me know that this is truth. You see, John wants you to understand... God is bigger than your sins. And that's good stuff, but he keeps going. You can sit there, and I think some of you need to stay right there, but I quickly want to show you the other two things he says that give us assurance. How can you know that you know? He said, you know that you know because you've been forgiven, you've been set free, God is bigger than our sins. But look what else he says. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he is loved. Now, what does he say there? He says, you can have assurance of faith because you believe and you understand that God is bigger than your sin. The second way that you can know that you know is because you know that God hears your prayers and he answers them. See, God always answers the prayers of his children. It may be yes, it may be no, it may be not now, but it's always one of those three answers. And what God is trying to say through John is that you can know because you see God's hand at work in your life. You can have assurance this morning because you can hear His voice and you can identify that when you pray, He is moving. Why is that the case? Because you see, His voice is always speaking to those that are His. God says what you ask, he will do if you ask in his name. What does that mean? Ask for something for what Jesus would ask for. Unselfishly believing. He says you have confidence. We have confidence now. We can stand before God and ask anything. You see, guys, there is assurance this morning because God's greater than our sin. Second, because God answers our prayers. And then the last thing I want you to see, which is probably... The most important for us in verse 24, he says, those who obey his command live in him and he in them. He lives in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gives us. See what he says is how do you know that you know that you know? You know because you believe his truth. You know because you hear his voice. And third, you know because he's inside of you. 
See, the Bible says God gave us the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, Paul says, if you receive him, accept him, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you will receive his Holy Spirit. Every one of you in here, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, has God living inside of you. He leads you. He guides you. He directs you. He, he brings comfort. He brings peace. He brings illumination. He speaks to your spirit. You see, I know that I know, not because God's a story out there, or because God's a theory out there. I know that I know because God lives inside of me. I love the old Renaissance paintings when they used to do pictures of Christians. Uh, they would always put little uh, flames over their head. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those pictures in a museum where they have little flames because the Bible says in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you know, it, it's like flames. Somebody said, wouldn't it be nice if we could identify Christians by something? I mean, if there was something that we could say, oh, yeah, you know you're a Christian because, you know, you got the X or you got the flame over your head. Well, that would take faith away. But listen, we got something that's much better than a flame over our head. we got a flame in our hearts. And you know that you know that you know because you hear Him and you sense Him. And He talks to you and He directs you. And He's as real as I am standing here. People say, well, how do you believe in the Holy Spirit if you can't see Him? How do you believe that He's real if you can't touch Him? Well, every morning you get up and you believe that there's going to be air, even though you can't see it, even though you can't touch it. Well, here in Blowing Rock, sometimes you can touch it. But most of the time, you can't see it. You can't touch it. But you believe that when you take a deep breath, there's going to be air there. How do you know that air is real? Because you know what it feels like when it's not there, right? Because when your air is taken away, you recognize it. Well, let me tell you, how do I know that the Holy Spirit's real? Because I remember what it was like when I didn't have it. It was just as bad as somebody that has no air trying to breathe. You see, John wants you to have faith this morning. John wants you to have freedom this morning. John wants you to walk it out. To live in victory instead of living in doubt. Some of you this morning, you need to receive your freedom. See, some of you are living in doubt for good reason. Some of you are living in doubt this morning because of sin in your life. Some of you are living in doubt because you have things in your life and you've never given your heart to God. You, you're religious, just like this group John says. And, and you hear preachers preach and you doubt every week. And, and you think, well, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I walked down an aisle or I got baptized, but, but I don't know that I know. Well, this morning, you can stop all that doubt and claim it. But it's saying, God, I receive you. Tired of playing games, tired of pretending, tired of walking in doubt. This morning, all you have to do is cry out to him, and the Bible says he's there. There's a big group of you this morning that walk in doubt all the time simply because you've never forgiven yourself. So you, you've never received God's true freedom. And you're in bondage to a cage you created. This morning, God wants to set you free. Receive it receive it for others of us this morning doubt comes and goes because our intimacy wanes we base our assurance on our feelings right we have an experience and we get goosebumps and we say well i'm, I'm really feeling god right now or i'm not feeling god 
You see, assurance is not based on feelings. It's based on truth is what John says. See, feelings always back up truth. Truth doesn't back up feelings. You can be as tight with God as a mountaintop and not have any emotion. And you can be in the valley and be filled with emotion. But the truth will set you free. You've been forgiven. You're loved. God is greater than your sin and your heart. He talks to you. He listens to you. Matter of fact, John says, he lives in you. That is what blessed assurance is about. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would set people free. Father, I believe there's some people here this morning struggling in, in a chains of their own making. Father, they are living less than what you've called them to, living less than what you've set them free to live. They're in bondage to their own guilt and their own condemnation. And Father, you've forgiven them. You don't even know what it is that they're in bondage to because you've removed as far as the east of the west. Father, I pray freedom in their hearts right now, that they would forgive themselves, that they would let it go, that they would ask you to come in and reassure them that it's gone. And Father, that has experienced your presence and your power this morning, they would sense a new freedom. Father, there are those here this morning that are in doubt simply because they don't have a relationship with you. And that doubt is more than just a creeping feeling. It's your Holy Spirit urging them to listen to your voice. Calling them to receive. Stop walking in doubt. It can be nailed down today. Father, let them humble themselves. Open their eyes and receive you. Father, for many of us, doubt keeps us from victory. Doubt keeps us from intimacy. Doubt is a lie from the devil that we've allowed into our spirit. Father, I stand secure on your truth. Forgiven, set free, victorious, everlasting, child of the King. Father, let us receive that this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we